This morning, I want to invite up a good friend of mine. Blaine, why don't you go ahead and make your way up here. Blaine Bartell is not just a speaker this morning. Uh, Blaine is one of my closest friends. Uh, he is in uh, my inner circle. And how many know everybody needs really good friends in their life? And uh, even when I went through my own kind of personal crisis in 2015, 2016, with my own health and all the things falling apart, uh, this man right here was, was there for me, a rock for me. Um, many of you know this, but every other week on Wednesday, Blaine and I, Brad Farnsworth, pastor of Core Church in Broken Arrow, Rusty Gunn, pastor of Church That Matters in Sand Springs, we get together and we have been doing life together for a long time. And so when I introduce this man to you, he's not just like any outside speaker. He is my brother, and I love him dearly. I also want to share this real quick. During our For Our City Christmas, we uh, made the Res House of Resurrection one of our giving initiatives. I want to talk about that for a minute, yeah. uh, kind of what it is. If, if, if you guys weren't here for that, this is, this is really an emergency room for the broken, for the hurting, for ministers, for marriages, for men who are going through sexual addiction, uh, infidelity, things like that. Let me just say this to you. If pastors are healthy, their churches are healthy. We feel called to pastors, not just because we are pastors, but because we know this about many pastors is when they're walking through brokenness, they have nowhere to go, nowhere. And this is a refuge for pastors. You have walked over a thousand pastors now through sexual addiction, recovery. Talk about House of Resurrection for a minute. Yeah, Matt, thank you. Uh, so I, I guess uh, 12 years ago when I went through my own uh, brokenness and failure and trying to find my footing again, uh, I went to a secular recovery center and uh, there were a lot of great tools, a lot of, a lot of things that really helped me, but just did not have uh, the gospel really given to me to walk me through my recovery. And, and, uh, and I remember coming back, Matt, and I was given like this, uh, this team of uh, restoration uh, ministers in my life, and I hardly ever heard from them. And I, I just felt really alone, and I felt like when I'd come back that I, I didn't really have a plan or how was I gonna, how was I gonna make it? And, uh, as God great, graciously set me free from my own addiction, from my own failure and brokenness, uh, he called Lori and I into helping men in marriages about seven years ago, shortly after we got married. And uh, it has just been amazing to see all these pastors, all these men in these marriages move into uh, just trust and hope and love and grace again and vitality again. And the challenge has been we... We have a, a small house and one bedroom, and when people come in, uh, we don't want them staying at a hotel because of the situation they're in often and the temptation they're still facing when they come. They're uh, still very broken. And so we, uh, we just had it put in our heart a couple of years ago to begin praying for a, uh, a gospel-centered residential ministry center for men, marriages, and ministers. And so last year in March, we launched this and we, we called it House of Resurrection. A year later, by God's amazing grace, uh, we own property. We have six acres, just 30 miles from, from here. Uh, we're uh, moving land right now, preparing construction site, raising money. I think we have a few of those pictures for too. For House of Resurrection. Yeah. So yeah. Just started moving. Yeah, I was running land. that. Uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> that's my friend, Bill. 
Bill has a uh, earth moving company. He's doing all of our earth moving uh, at no charge, no cost, moving trees, preparing the construction site. You can see there uh, just getting ready for this. And, and I think we have uh, maybe a couple uh, slides of what House of Resurrection is going to look like. So it is just going to be this state of, uh, state of the art facility, be able to accommodate uh, 12, uh, 12 men or 12 ministers or six couples at a time to just walk them through what we call resurrection and uh, a brand new life. So we are excited about it. We're about halfway through raising the money for the building now that the property's paid for. So God has been gracious. God has been supplying and we hope to break ground sometime this year. God Amen. willing. Amen. Isn't it awesome? I just think that's where Jesus would be. Amen. In the midst of that brokenness. Um, there's so many men in our church today, you're walking in freedom because of his yes and obedience. Every time Blaine comes, he shares his story. And many times he's put his email address and said, hey, if you need help, if you're swimming in sexual addiction, you don't know where to go. Men have walked through your Catharos program, your eight-week study. They have now led that. We've, we've had so many men in our church walk through sexual freedom because of you. I want to thank you for that. So Blaine also, his second grandchild was born this morning and he's here with us and not at the hospital. So thank you for that. <laughs> We're excited. We're excited for you. Thank you. Um, I just want to, want to bless you as, as we made this a part of our giving the end of the year, you guys gave towards this. So we do have a check for you today for $25,000 from city church, oh, just to say, we you love guys. you. Thank you, so, buddy. You guys are awesome. You're so kind, so generous. Thank you guys. Hey, give it up for Blaine as he comes to speak this morning. Well, I've got to run to the bank. I'll be back. Uh, make sure these go through. Thanks, Matt. I'll tell you, if you're, if you're lucky to live, maybe I should use the word blessed to live as long as I have, which is 62 years on this planet, you may be blessed enough to have a friend like Matt Nelson. Uh, God introduced me to him, as he said, several years ago. And man, this brother has been a friend to me in so many ways. He knows every part of my life, and I know every part of his life. And uh, I can tell you, uh, as a friend that knows everything about him, this man and his wife, Lindsay, just absolutely love Jesus and love you. All he talks about is you and, and what God is doing here in this, in this community. And I am so excited about the next step uh, for you. And uh, I will be there at your grand opening for sure. I can't, can't wait for that. So given the time, uh, let's, let's move into uh, a short homily. How about that? Does homily sound shorter than a sermon? <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. So let's, let's homilize this morning since it's 10.06 and we're going to be done by right at 11. I love your series right now. I've been listening to it. Matt, good job. Got a few little pointers I can help you with on that first message, but other than that, it was, it was pretty good. Uh, no, really, really good. I love the story of the prodigal son. I listened to it this week. It's, it's actually one of my favorites. But uh, I love this, this message and this series uh, when we talk about God's scandalous grace because uh, Western Christians, Americans, uh, that would call themselves Christians really have a very dim view of God's grace and God's goodness. In fact, uh, I read a statistic not long ago that said 73% of all Americans believe that God is authoritative, distant, and punitive. Most people have a very dim view of the love of God and the grace of God. 
And so I, I, you know, in thinking about the story I would tell this morning from Scripture and the truth maybe that the Lord would have me to share, uh, 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 just a, a phrase came to me, and I felt like the Lord said, Blaine, I want you to talk for a few minutes about how to scandal faithfully. How to scandal faithfully. The book is a scandalous book that we read about scandalous men and women who are rescued by a a scandalous savior. It's a scandalous book because uh, it makes the audacious claim that God came to visit us in human form, in Christ. And that the men and women in this book are scandalous because they were none perfect. They, they, were, they were messy people. It's interesting that God would give us a book about how to live, and yet so many, maybe all, didn't live well except for one. And then uh, our Savior's scandalous because he just freely pardons all these scandalous people. And it bothers some of us that maybe have grown up in, in a religious world. And I think when we talk about scandals, we, we usually appropriate scandals to others. We think about those that have been involved in a scandal, and rarely do we look inward and say, yeah, maybe I've had my own scandals. But I love what Paul said to uh, the Ephesian church. He said, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness, but expose them for the things and the sham that they are. He said, it is a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one else will see. Hmm. Rip off the cover of those frauds and see how attractive they are in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffins. I like that. Christ will show you the light, so watch your step, use your head, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. I wonder how many of us whether we realize it or not, have maybe had our own scandals, that we're a little bit scandalous at times. I looked up the, the, the origins of the word scandal, and it's actually one of the, one of the origins. It's a French word, scandal. I have some French in me. I'm from Canada, les scandal. And it simply means to damage one's own reputation, cause for offense, to become a stumbling block, a trap or a snare laid. I wonder if any of us have ever done something in secret, something in the dark that we didn't want anyone else to know about. It was a little bit scandalous. Ever sneak a large bowl of chocolate ice cream after your wife goes to sleep, guys? Yeah. Find yourself surfing sexual imagery when you're finally alone at the house. Ladies, you ever purchased something you've tried to hide from your husband? <laughs> I know women who actually get stuff they purchase on Amazon delivered to a friend's house so that their husband doesn't find out. I'm going to expose her at some point. There's all kinds of ways that we can scandal. And beloved, I can tell you that I know what it is to scandal. I lived 23 years in my own secrets in my own secret life of brokenness and addiction. And it's amazing how scandals can start. It's like scandals begin in the most microscopic moments of our life. I was 27 years old, and I was in this hotel room, and I'd never looked at pornography a day in my life. Never even really 
thought much about it until I'm sitting in this hotel room and, and I'm kind of bored and I'm kind of exhausted and I just decide, I wonder what's on that, that little white box on top of that TV and I hit the red button, on, on comes all of this imagery. This is pre-internet. And I look at it, and it's obviously uh, inviting for a male mind. But at the same time, I'm experiencing, as a believer in Christ, all, all kinds of shame. And I turn it off after about 10 minutes, and I walk down to the front desk, and I, I begin the cover-up that I didn't know would become a 23-year cover-up. I paid for the bill because I didn't want anyone to find out my secrets. And my secrets were kept in darkness. And I thought this scandal, this idea that I was perpetrating what I knew to be wrong and what, what was uh, awful in my life, I, I thought it would end. And, uh, and it did for six months, but then it came back. And it ended again, but for three months and it came back until finally this scandalous life had become a part of me and these secrets in this darkness continued. But it started in that one microscopic moment. And I think back to that moment, I, I, I wonder what if, you know, I'd had the courage or the strength or the wherewithal to stop that scandal from becoming what it would be. Because scandals may start in microscopic moments, but they often end in horrific moments in our life where 23 years later, my sin and my secrets and my darkness are exposed. And we never realize how our scandals can scandalize, how our pain can bring pain, how our darkness can become darkness for somebody else. Because when my sin was exposed and my brokenness was exposed, there was a lot of loss in my life. There was a lot of brokenness in my life. I lost my church and I lost my reputation and I lost my marriage. I lost a lot of friends. And to be honest, I lost a lot of hope. It was three days after that I stupidly, carelessly walked into traffic on the busiest street in Frisco, Texas and began to try to find a truck that would graciously run me over. And five police cars pulled over, surrounded me, took me away in handcuffs, delivered me back to my home, and they sent me to rehab for, for 30 days and $30,000. And when you go through a scandal like that and endure the absolute consequences of how sin can scandalize our own lives, we often forget about how it scandalizes others. Because beyond my own pain, there was greater pain. There was uh, the pain of my, my wife and the hurt and the brokenness that she felt after 30 years of marriage and discovering this betrayal. There was the pain of my three boys who were in their 20s, realizing that their father wasn't everything they thought he was. And having to deal with walking into the workplace and one of their friends coming over with a newspaper saying, I saw your dad in the news today. What happened? We don't realize the ripple effects and the power of our scandalous sin 
whether it's lying or cheating or greed or gossip or some other kind of betrayal in our lives. And I thought this morning it might be good to talk about the other side of scandal, not just how scandal affects us or how we might avoid scandal, but really how scandal can affect those that are often innocent in the moment and in the process. So I want to read just a short passage of Scripture. It's the first, uh, the first little bit of what I would call marital insanity that we see in Scripture, and it's found in Genesis <clears throat> chapter 16. You're familiar, if you've been in the church, with these characters, with these people, Sarai and Abram. <clears throat> Let's read together, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Everyone say Hagar. Hagar. So she said, Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Yes, you heard that correctly. To, to just give you context, uh, about 10 or 11 years before this, at age 75, Abraham and Sarah were told that they were going to have a promised child, and that from this child, who would, become, who would be eventually be Isaac, that there would be this nation that would be born out of their loins, that, that, that literally that God would bring a nation, a people, from Abraham and Sarah. It's a pretty amazing claim, and especially given the fact that <laughs> they were in their mid to late 70s to have a baby. And now they're in their 80s. It's, he's now, I think, 86, Abraham is. And so think about God giving you a promise for, for having a baby at 75 and 11 years later, he's been doing his work, but it's still not happening. Like he was, he was acting in faith, trusting God to supply, but there was no baby. And I, I think like like any of us would, they began to question God. They began to like, well, how's this going to happen? And then they began to kind of say, okay, how can we help God on this? How can, we, how can we make this possible? How can we scheme a little bit to bring this promise to pass? And, and so Sarah, with her scheming, said, I got an idea, Abraham. You know, uh, I'm, I, the Lord is obviously keeping me from having children, so why don't you go sleep with my slave and we could build a family through her? <laughs> so the next verse is quite amazing. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Bad idea. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and of course, she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So when Sarah found out Hagar was pregnant, she began to despise this mistress or this slave Hagar. She didn't like it. It was her idea. But now she doesn't like it. Because she's bearing this child and not Sarah. And so Sarah goes back to Abram. Some of you husbands will relate to this. You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Like, it was her idea. He just willingly went along with it. But this is the marital insanity 
that can happen when we don't follow Jesus well, when we don't follow the Lord. Things can get messy. And so Abram looks back and he does, you know, the, the, the man thing. Hey, the slave is in your hands. It's your, it's your slave. Do whatever you want with her, whatever you think is best. And Sarah mistreated Hagar. And so she fled from her. The word mistreated there was, uh, is not just, a, you know, spoke ill will of her, that there's implications in that word of real hostility and cruelty, maybe even physical cruelty. And please understand that Hagar was a slave. She had no agency. She was not given a choice on whether she would bear this child or conceive or have sexual relations with Abram. She was a slave. And it said that this slave did something that slaves never do in this culture. She fled. She ran. And that was only at the risk of your life to run as a slave because you, uh, you would be killed for, for leaving your master. This was not something that slaves did, really because they had nowhere to go. And look what happened when this Hagar, by the way, Hagar's name is translated or in its origin is stranger. So Hagar flees, she runs, and look what verse 7 says. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I think those two questions are the questions God brings to all of us that have scandaled or been scandalized. Where have you come from, and where are you going? This is the first time outside of the Garden of Eden that we see a mention of a, an angel and an angel actually interrupting and, and communicating with a human being. And I think it's interesting that it happened with a, an Egyptian slave. A stranger out of covenant with God, somebody who had been mistreated, somebody who had been used, somebody who had been unwanted, somebody that had been broken and hurt, somebody that had been scandalized, and God says, okay, it's time. It's time to send heaven to earth. It's time to send divine to humanity because this person is worth it to me. And the way I'm going to help her is I'm going to ask her these two questions that can change everything in her life. Where have you been and where are you going? So I want to ask you this morning, because on some level, whether you realize it or not this morning, you have been scandalized. There has been brokenness that has come into your life, some to different effects and some to different levels. But at some point in your life, somebody has betrayed you, somebody has hurt you, somebody has let you down, somebody has used a name or identified you with a name and that is stuck in your soul. 
somehow we've all been scandalized and somehow we've been a little bit like Hagar where we have felt like strangers at the table. We weren't in the front row. We weren't on the front line that we're looking over somebody else's shoulder, that maybe we're in a place where we didn't belong, nor were we invited, but somehow we're there. And we felt the sting of being scandalized. We've been on the other end of the trespass. We've been trespassed against. And it's in those moments that I think God is closest to you and closest to us. It's in those moments that the divine comes into your human life and says, can I help you? By answering two questions, where have you been and where are you going? Because if we can answer those questions well, we can be whole and we can be healed. One counselor put it like this with me. He looked at me across the table and he said, what happened to you. And then he pushed a piece of paper with an egg on it, and he said, this is your trauma egg, and I want you to write down the trauma that has happened in your life over the last 50 years. (laughs) And I said, well, really, I haven't had any. My life has really been good up to this point, where it's all gone away. He said, well, I'm going to leave you with it for an hour. And if there's some event or something or some person that just seems to keep coming back in your life, or maybe one or two, I want you to write, write it down inside that egg, and I'll be back in an hour. And he put on this weird counseling music. <laughs> you know, trying to get under my soul. And I was this hardened, you know, Guy, I, I, I didn't have trauma, you know. I didn't, I didn't need, you know, inner healing. I, I, I was fine. Stuff washed off me. Nothing really stayed with me. I was cool. But I stayed there in that moment for an hour, and for the first 15 or 20 minutes, I didn't really do much. But then I just kind of closed my eyes, and I thought, okay, Lord, if there's something bring it to me. And I found myself minutes later writing down three letters, J-I-M. Wasn't you, Jim. (laughs) So my counselor comes back in and he says, Blaine, who's Jim? I said, well, Jim was my boss when I was 14 years of age. My dad owned a restaurant and Jim was the manager. My dad and mom went away for the weekend and Jim was there to kind of take care of me as a 14 year old. I worked late on Friday night and after work about midnight, Jim and his, his, his fiance invited me to his apartment to drink beer. And I was 14 and I was not a believer nor a Christian. And, of course, that sounded good. Let's do that. Let's drink beer. And so I went to his house, and we sat around, the three of us, his his kitchen table, 
drank a few beers, and of course it didn't take much for a 14-year-old to kind of get a little bit buzzed. And finally, after about an hour and a half, Jim and, and his fiance said, hey, let's retire and go to bed. We have to get up in the morning. So they put me in a spare room, and I'm in that spare room, and I go to sleep until about an hour later, I feel this presence in the room, and it's Jim. And he's beside me in the bed, and he's making aggressive physical maneuvers. He's touching me in places that were inappropriate, And finally, I woke out of my stupor and I looked around and I kind of realized what was happening, but at 14, I really didn't know. And I just said, hey, Jim. And he just said, relax, relax, everything's fine. And I sat there for another moment or two and then I said, okay, no. And I rolled out of that bed and I kind of backed off into the corner. And I said, Jim, I don't want to do this. And he said, no, we're, we're going to do this. I said, no, I, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. And he realized I was serious, and he finally pointed his finger at me, and he said, listen to me. If you ever tell a soul about this, I will find you, and I will kill you. And then he closed the door. And I woke up the next morning, and showed up at the breakfast table, and there was him and his fiance, and he greeted me warmly. Hey, Blaine, did you sleep good last night? And I thought, oh, that didn't happen. It really didn't happen. It was a dream. And I went on my way. I didn't think about it again for a day. But I can tell you that just about every week of my life after that, I thought about that. And I didn't realize, but I was living in a scandalized life. And as I shared that with my counselor, my counselor just looked back at me. He said, Blaine, whether you realize it or not, Jim gave you permission to find sexual relief for the sexual pain that he caused you. It doesn't give you excuses. It doesn't mean what you did was right. It doesn't mean that you couldn't have had agency and made better decisions. But he did say this. He said, you need to be whole and you need to be healed. You need to be forgiven and you need to forgive. And, and, and he began to walk me through what forgiveness would look like. And I'm going to tell you it was difficult. It was hard. Because I took myself back to being 14, I took myself back to that age, and I realized how innocent I was in that moment, and how my innocence was taken and broken. It was really one of the first sexual experiences I ever had. Friends, I don't know where you've been, or what has happened, or how your agency has been taken, or how somebody has treated you. But we've all been Hagar's at some point where there's been some kind of trauma in our life. And we can't minimize it or discount it. We can't say, oh, just because they called me that name doesn't mean that it can affect me. No, they they do affect us. Things do change us. In fact, trauma will either transmit through our life or be transformed where God heals us. And I remember reading 
not long after this counselor walked through this with me, I remember reading a passage, and I'm going to close with this. This passage of Scripture is the first time Jesus ever announced his mission in the earth. You know, you'd think when God sent his son to come back after a few thousand years of humanity, men and women messing up everything, breaking every commandment there was, there'd be a, a little bit of cause for rebuke, a little bit of cause for, hey, you guys are all screwing up. Let's, uh, let's kind of get this right. Let's get this back on the rails. But I find it interesting that when Jesus spoke for the first time, announcing the mission he'd come for on the earth, says he grabbed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he opened the book and he found the place where it is written and he spoke this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. <laughs> I love that Jesus said, I know why. I know why. I, I know what's happened to you. I know your heart's been broken. I know you felt in prison. I know that you've felt blind and unable to see exactly where you should go or what you should do so many times. And he said, I know and I felt the oppression that you've been under and I'm here. I'm here. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to bring hope. I'm here to help you to see what you've never seen and to experience a liberty and a freedom that only I can bring. And when we are able to come to grips and, and come to a place of vulnerability and honesty about where we've been, then we can answer the next question about where we are going. Because where God is taking you out of that brokenness is into a place of healing, so that you can bring healing, a freedom so that you can bring freedom. Just as Paul wrote to his friends in Galatia in chapter five of that book, he said, it is for freedom that I've set you free, that we are going from our place of hurt and brokenness and unhealing to bring freedom and healing and hope to others. And this is the gospel. This is who we are. Can I tell you this morning, one of the most important things that you can ever do is realize today that God's grace is so scandalous that he loves you right there, right now, right where you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done. And he loves your enemy that one that has hurt you and broke you and left you and betrayed you, he loves them right now, right now, right now, right where they are. That this is the God we serve. This is the God we represent. And can I tell you one last thing? 
that you're not just a sinner saved by grace, that the gospel actually goes all the way back to creation, that each and every one of us were made in the beauty and the likeness of God, that we are made with this divine spark inside of us that we're a little bit like God, made to bring forth his image in the world, and that somehow our own sin has marred that. But Jesus has come with his new creation, with this new reality that indeed we can be born again and enter into a new Eden of life, an inner garden of God's love and goodness that we can begin to share with the world. And this is the gospel. And this is why you're here. And this is why Jesus came for your life. We're gonna receive in just a moment the body and blood of Christ in the form of this juice and this bread. And it is gonna be a beautiful, sacred moment of once again, taking in all that Christ has for us and all that Christ wants for us. When we eat that, that, that bread and we drink that juice, what we're saying is, Jesus, I don't wanna just kinda know you on a peripheral level. I want you to fully come into my life. I want all of you. I wanna know you in the deepest way. I want you to infiltrate my heart, my mind, my soul, even my body. So if you would stand to your feet, saints, we are gonna pray. Let's prepare our hearts for this time because I believe that Christ is gonna meet you in this moment. I believe that as you walk down this aisle, that you are gonna, or are we coming down? Are we coming down? We're just doing it in the, in the seats? Okay, all right. So as we receive this, this, the body and the blood of Christ in this moment, that I, I want you to trust that God is gonna meet you in this moment. And before you do this, this is what I want you to do. I want you just to close your eyes. And I want you to dare to pray one of the most radical prayers, at least a part of that prayer. Because Jesus invited us into this moment of forgiveness. He was basically inviting us that, that if you are going to live this life, this Jesus life, this kingdom life, that you're gonna to have to engage in this, this prayer and in this way of living. Forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Can we pray that today? Can we live that today? Can we actually embrace that prayer? Because it's a, it's a radical prayer. We may give lip service to that prayer at times, but listen, it is a radical prayer to just simply scandalously forgive somebody for no other reason than God said, let it go, let it go, because I've let you go. So whisper that prayer, if you would, in your seats. Father, we forgive those that trespassed and have trespassed against us even as we've been forgiven of our trespasses. 
Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us. We receive it. As we crush it in our teeth, we're reminded that you were crushed for our iniquities. Thank you, Lord, that you were broken so we would be whole. And now, Lord, we receive the juice and we're reminded as we drink this juice of the new covenant in your blood that old things have been passed away and that somehow through the blood of Christ that all sin has been forgiven. That we stand here this morning cleansed and whole and right before you. That we don't have to walk out of this building with head down or shame upon us. That you took our shame. You took our sin. You took our consequence and that we walk forgiven and free today. We're grateful for this covenant, for this new way of living that you've given us. And we pray it all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Aren't you grateful for that word? Let me tell you what I've watched my good friend do for so many years now courageously stand up in front of groups of people and share the parts of his story that you don't want to talk about so that other people will have the courage to say, you know what? If he can do it, I can do it. If he's gone through that and found freedom, I can, I can go through that. I've watched Blaine talk about his depression and mental health journey, his 23-year addiction to led, that led to one of the most public scandals out there. And yet here he is today walking in victory, walking a thousand pastors through this process. Because when he shares this story, guess what other people say? Guess what? I think I could do it too. Right? You can't do it as long as it stays in the darkness. The difficulty is bringing it into the light and allowing God to heal. Amen? Can you guys put that scandalous grace picture back up? This is a sermon series. The Bible is messy, right? Our lives are messy. As Blaine's preaching and I'm walking this, I'm like, that prodigal just spent all of his dad's money on prostitutes. He didn't have a shirt on his back. And what does the father say? And welcome home, right? Let me clothe you. It's what God does to us. I'm so grateful for you, brother. So grateful for your ministry. So many of us have been blessed because of your obedience and your courage. Some of you in the room, you may have a next step to take. You may need somebody to help walk with you. If you do, and we want to do that. That's what I love when we come to the table like we just did. Sometimes you come to the table with doubts and fears. Sometimes you come limping to the table, overwhelmed by life. My wife and I felt that this week. My father-in-law passed this week. My wife's father, we were at the funeral on Friday. It's just our whole family's just kind of emotionally emptied right now. Guess what? We come to the table with that because Jesus meets us there. Amen? He fills our, what's lacking in us. We hope that's what Jesus did for you today. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Blaine, 
for what you do. Uh, we are going to continue to be a part of House of Resurrection, what God's doing there. I, I hope we can continue to give to that. Maybe God moves on your heart to give towards that project. Um, I just believe that is something so significant right now that's lacking, that's needed. We need that in Tulsa, in the United States. And I believe God has called this man and his wife, Lori, to do that. Um, let me say this real quick before we leave this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. There's going to be some people here at the front of the stage. If you need prayer for something in your life, maybe, maybe God's moving in your life. Maybe there's just something you're walking through. You just need someone to agree with you. Please don't leave before you just grab one of these people. We believe in the power of prayer. It changes lives. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room just across the lobby, just 30 seconds of your time as, uh, as uh, we just want to bless you with, with that gift. Uh, that's all we have for this morning. Man, be blessed. We're going to end with our mission statement like we say every week and go live it out wherever you are. Be the gospel. God bless you.